Hello everyone and welcome to Fast Charge. We have a bit of a Apple special this week. We are spending two thirds of the show talking about all things Apple because it is WWDC week. So I have Lewis with me here on the call. He is going to start off by running us through all the biggest changes that are coming in iOS 14 later this year. Then we're going to turn to the move to ARM processors in Macs, which will be starting also later this year, and what that means for Macs and for iPads. And then finally, we've also got Chris, who has been testing the LG Velvet dual screen all week, so he's going to give us his thoughts on that. All right, let's dive straight into iOS 14. Um, I'm going to be up front. I occasionally review <laughs> iPhones, and I reviewed the iPhone SE. I haven't used an iPhone regularly for at least two years, I think probably longer. Um, so I know very little. So I sat there watching the iOS 14 announcement thinking, all of these things they're announcing look very familiar to me <laughs> as an Android user. And occasionally moments of, wait, iOS 14, like, or rather iOS 13 didn't already do that? I can't believe that's new. Yeah. Um, Lewis, why don't you run through what got announced and, and why it seemed so familiar to me? So, yeah, um, as you were saying, there's a lot of kind of Android-inspired features available as part of iOS 14. Obviously, the big one, I think, is widgets. Widgets have yep. been the staple of Android, you know, forever essentially it's the one thing that the android fanboys will be like well we've got widgets what do you have on iphone just a boring home screen with all your apps uh, and well i completely agree because when i do go on the android side for uh, when i'm reviewing phones and stuff like that i do like the widgets they do come in handy especially the kind of spotify mm -hmm. control ones and stuff like that so i'm yeah i'm welcoming the change with open arms it just the widgets look a bit big to me i can't i don't know if that just if, if that's something that you guys think as well, but they just seem to take up they a are, lot of are, the screen. Even the they are resizable, kind of, right? Yeah, they are resizable. They have some resizability, um, but, but they're not the... interactive. I think I saw yeah. that they're all read-only widgets. So they'll they'll you know there's like calendar widgets to tell you what's in your calendar or weather widgets to tell you the weather, but not necessarily like Spotify ones like you mentioned no, that you could use thing, to control yeah. things. It's just so, um, yeah, so you'll be able to see things like your battery life, which I think is a bit of a waste because you've got it up in the corner anyway. You've got it there hey, already. <laughs> it's fine if you want it, it's there. Um, what I do like is the uh, activity rings from the Apple Watch. You'll be able to have them on, on the iPhone, which I think is quite cool. Um, but yeah. yeah, like you say, it's just you're just going to be reading stuff from the app. You're not going to be able to actually interact and control things with it. But I imagine that will probably be coming in iOS 15, let's be honest. You would have thought so. <laughs> I find it a funny one because actually, I like I said, I've been an Android user for the most part, forever, I've had very brief dalliances with iOS, but I've basically been Android the whole time since Android started, so about mm -hmm. 10 years. I don't use widgets. I did, and I used widgets in the early days of Android, and they were very exciting, but I've long since gotten bored of widgets and just actually have a fairly plain home screen. Oh, really? And they were one of the features I hadn't really realized iOS lacked, so I was very surprised when they announced widgets. So I was like, oh, you, you don't have that. <laughs> Um, and Maybe it's it just because I don't like a use funny... iPhone. Uh, I don't use Android so often. So when I do come back to it, it's like, oh, widgets, this is fun. <laughs> right, yeah. It felt to me like a weird one to borrow because it felt to me like lifting an Android feature that I didn't think that many people even used on Android anymore. Yeah. Uh, so I find it a bit of a strange one. It probably then... is a slightly niche feature these days. Uh, I mm. imagine most users don't use them and probably some don't even know they're there. No. Um, I, yeah, they don't feel like they're pushed as much by the OS as they used to be. No. Used to open apps and it would always, they'd always be like, oh, we've got a widget, you know. Do you want to put our widget on your own screen? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I find stuff. it strange that Apple just used the same name. Like normally they change the name yeah. of something to like make it seem like they've invented it, but they just 
we just called them widgets. I think they called them widgets like, when you had them back on Mac, like years right. ago, when you used to have like the, okay. uh, the sticky notes one and the, and the clock one where you could access. It's kind of like it is on iPhone, really, where you swipe in and it's on the kind of the, the head and left menu. You used to be able yeah, to get all yeah. access to your widgets and stuff, but they killed that on Mac years ago at this point. But I mean, that's right. the only thing I can think of is because they were called widgets as well. So, and it's, it's you know, it's just a general name. People know what you mean when you say widgets. I'm I'm honestly a bit more excited by the app library, yes, which I think is a bigger thing that would draw me back to an iPhone because I hate not having an app drawer on iPhones. It's one of my biggest frustrations that I have to have all my apps sitting on a home screen somewhere. Yeah, I can't just tuck some away and be like, I use this app once a year. I don't want to see it all the time. I just want to know it's there somewhere when I need it, which I can do on Android. I just have a home screen with the sort of 12 apps I use a lot and everything else sits in the app drawer ready when I need it, but not on display. in your face. No, I think uh, a lot of iPhone users kind of got around that in recent years just by using folders. So all the stuff that I don't really use, I dump into one folder. It's probably about six, seven, eight pages long just for the apps (laughs) that I use like once a year. But it just keeps right, yeah. things a bit tidier. So yeah, the fact that I won't have to do that in iOS 14 is a massive positive. But I think it's a weird one because when I go on Android, I love the fact that you have the app drawer and you've got them all there. And so you've got a really tidy home screen. But I don't know if it's because I've been I've been on iPhone since iPhone OS 2. <laughs> so I don't know if by this point, I'm just used to the fact that they are, the apps are on the iPhone home screen. So I don't know if I'll be using it as much as I think I will. Hmm. It's just, does it, it groups all the apps automatically, does it? Into yeah, that, yeah. so it's got yeah. smart grouping. So it'll, yeah. it'll group things like Apple Arcade, utilities, and stuff like that, which I do like. But it, again, it depends on how good the automatic grouping is. Well, exactly. Because Samsung's app drawer tries to do some... It doesn't group things in folders automatically, but it does try to do some smart organization of the list. Yeah. And the first thing I do on every Samsung phone is turn that off because <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. It makes it impossible to find an app when you want it. And I just put everything in alphabetical order because that way I know how to find whatever exactly, app I yeah. want because I'm always going to know what it's called. That makes sense. <laughs> and I don't have to worry that the phone has mistakenly put my audio app in the fitness folder or something because it doesn't know if it's for, you know. Um, so if it's good, and to be fair, it's Apple, so that side of it probably will be good. They, they're mostly good at that kind of, that side of things. Yeah. Lots of tidy things up, don't they? And another big thing, I think, is the fact that when you get a phone call, it's not going to take up the whole screen anymore. Yes. Oh, thank uh, you so much. <laughs> which I like a lot. And I think someone pointed out that I think there is it's something like that's an option on Pixel phones, but okay. it's certainly not a widespread Android feature. No. Um, and I would like to see that more on Android because it is a bit annoying having everything stop when you get a phone call. Yeah. Though I have seen people point out it, it's that kind of final nail in the coffin for claiming that your smartphone is a phone. A phone. Yeah, literally. Uh, it's pushing the phone part even further into the background. It's just the thing so you, that you can ignore the do. phone bit. Yeah. <laughs> Phoning is just another app, uh, one of a few hundred you have. I mean, I completely agree at this point. You know, when, when your phone was just your phone, you needed, you, know, you want that full screen experience. But when you are, you know, you're on Twitter or on YouTube, you're play- especially when you're playing games. I've been on so many PUBG mobile matches and I get a phone call mid-match. It's like, quick, hang up. And then by the time I've hung up, yeah. I'm, I'm dead. It's also, I think it reflects the move towards people using, say, headsets and, and headphones and things like AirPods a lot more. Because you're actually a lot more likely now to have those in all the time Mm -hmm. so that when that phone call comes, you can answer it while still using whatever app you're already using, kind of uninterrupted. That period before where taking a phone call meant putting the phone to your ear and not seeing the screen anymore. Obviously, that still happens, but it's less dominant. And even then, I I find that when I'm at home, I just 
put my phone on speaker anyway. So regardless, right, I've yeah. still got access to my screen and everything else that I'm doing. So yeah, yeah no, I, I really like that. And it's, it's weird that they didn't really mention it at all in, during WWDC. That was kind of one of the quieter things they just published on the website after the event. Well, it's because they mentioned it during the iPadOS bit. Right. They, they did it as weird. a sort of, here's a new feature we're bringing to iPads. Oh, and this one's coming to iPhones too, which I think was just to bolster the fairly thin lineup yeah. of iPad changes. Yeah, didn't they really uh, just talk about the Apple Pencil during the iPad section? <laughs> um, and, 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 and the, the we'll, we'll save a bit of the iPad chat for the next section, yes. but there was a bit about uh, sidebars and drop-down menus and things like that. Oh, um, some new stuff. app features. Awesome. Uh, the the other, the other, so Siri had this, a redesign yeah. as well. Siri had a redesign, which I like. I think, again, making it a bit less um, intrusive. Yeah, it, it looks a lot more like Google's option, where obviously an yeah. assistant just popped up at the bottom of the screen. And it's tidier, it's nicer, I like it, you know. Exactly. Got nothing it makes that. a lot more sense for how people use it. Again, when you use Siri, you don't stop using whatever else you're doing to use Siri. No. Siri is a thing you do while you're doing something else to check something, and then you go back to whatever you were doing before. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything that revolutionary in iOS 14. I think it's just a lot of kind of catch up a lot of quality of life updates and stuff like that. Yeah. But I think it is think a lot what, more than what people were expecting because with iOS 13 being so buggy, I think a lot of people expected iOS 14 just to be, okay, we're going to fix this. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And um, I mean, I think they've done that as well because what I've looked, seen on Twitter is that even though you've only got the first developer preview available at the moment, that people are saying it's really surprisingly stable. So that, I've that's seen, good. I've seen a few, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to trying um, that out on the public beta when that comes out. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to... I've still got my iPhone SE kicking about, so I think I might try and get that up to 14 whenever I can. I might see if I can find a way to sneak my way into the developer beta Ooh, or, uh, or just wait for the public, cheeky. but I do want to try it out. Um, what I find really interesting about the way this has happened, obviously we've sort of led with the idea that they're borrowing a lot from Android, and I think that's true. We were talking before this call started that we're really struggling to come up with any feature in iOS 14 that wasn't on some level in Android before. Mm. But what's really striking to me is that the features they're picking here aren't necessarily new features. It's not like, oh, Android did that last year. This is cutting-edge Android that Apple's borrowing. They've gone back to the basics of what Android is in the app library, in the sort of app drawer slash app library mm -hmm. and, and widgets, and taken that stuff. So this goes right back to what used to be the fundamental line between Android and iOS, um, the kind of customizability that Android gave you, the control you gave versus the pristine managed ecosystem of iOS. And I can't help but look at this and feel like it's kind of Apple admitting that 10 years ago they designed their OS wrong and that they got the very fundamentals wrong. And then like 10 years later, they're accepting that, yeah. not admitting it, obviously, but accepting it internally and taking that core Android design and applying it back to iOS. And, and it, I can't think this is anything but a huge win for like Google's early Android team. Yeah. Because all the decisions they made that were different to iOS at the beginning, Apple's just quietly said, yeah, yeah you works. were right. That's better than what we did. We're taking that core Android experience and putting it on iOS. But it um, is, it this is, is really also fundamental. Apple's thing where they, they, they like to say they're not first to market, but they're the best. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I'm sure it took them 10 years to perfect the widget. I'm sure that's what they've been working on this whole time. 10 years of getting widgets. Oh, just so good. There's one guy on the widget team. <laughs> I know. Maybe next year. I, Maybe I've actually, actually well, five widgets years loads on Android. I have, like, a whole page. Uh, I have pages oh, really? of my, like, um, home screens dedicated to, like, Calendar, Gmail, WhatsApp, you know, Spotify right. controls, like, all sorts. So you've got like a makeshift today view of what you have on the iPhone, just on your Android. Sort of, yeah, sort of. Stop that.
we've spent 10 minutes talking about Apple stealing from Google. Um, I think now we can talk about Apple stealing from Apple. Uh, <laughs> yeah. As uh, Apple has announced, the, the biggest probably announcement from this week was the rumored and expected announcement that Apple is basically going to ditch Intel uh, in terms of what powers its uh, iMacs and MacBooks. And going forwards, it's going to be making its own chipsets to power the Mac products, just as it has for a long time in iPhones, iPads, Apple Watches, basically everything else it makes. It's done its own silicon. Now it's going to start doing it for Macs. Um, that's interesting in and of itself. But I think what really interests me is that it's using the same architecture it uses for its iPhone and iPad chips. That means it made a point of saying new Macs will run iPhone and iPad apps natively. And then that comes with a load of changes to Mac OS that make it look and feel a lot more like iPad OS. Mm -hmm. At the same time as they announce a load of changes to iPad OS, that make it look and feel a lot more like macOS. And it's just the only feeling I got from watching all that is they are quietly trying to converge Macs and iPads, which is what people have been asking them to do for at least five years. Um, and they're just slowly, unofficially bringing them together at last. Yeah. Am I mad or is that what you guys thought too? No, I think you're on the money there. Um, I mean, they've said for years, you know, you're not going to have any, you know, touchscreen doesn't translate well to Mac OS yeah. and stuff. Uh, well, Mac OS 10 when it was out, uh, that's when they said it. Um, but yeah, you can kind of see where they're going. If, you know, you can bring iPhone and iPad apps to the Mac and you can use them with a mouse and that's absolutely fine. But then you'll have a bunch of content that's touch optimized, ready for a touchscreen exactly. Mac in the next few years. They they just, when, when they're making a push of iOS stuff being native on Mac, you cannot make the argument that you're getting the best experience if you're asking people to use iOS apps with a mouse. Yeah. Like they I mean, have to then say, and you can use touch to interact with those because that's how they were designed. That's what they were made for. No, exactly. Uh, I mean, I you, mean kind of, you, could, you could argue that you've got you kind of a border experience where you use a trackpad rather than a mouse. Yeah. You've kind of get, you got the same swipe gestures and stuff like that as you would, but it's not the same, I'd say. No. Um, and... Yeah, I, 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 it, it's going to be a funny one because, again, as you made a point, as you said, they, they were very... Apple took a strong line that you wouldn't get a touchscreen Mac. Mm -hmm. And this came as Microsoft was pushing touchscreen laptops in the Windows space. And I think it is fair to say, I think touchscreen laptops have had a fairly slow adoption rate. I don't think people have always gotten the point. And I don't mm. think Microsoft has done a great job of optimizing Windows for touch. No. Um, I am slowly coming around to it myself. Uh, the last few laptops I reviewed have had touchscreens and I've actually caught myself using it without thinking about it too much in a way that I never did before. Mm -hmm. So I think it is getting there. Um, I, I kind of it, had that experience with the iPad Pro and, and Magic Keyboard. Right, yeah. Um, because obviously that essentially turns into a laptop with a trackpad and everything else. And I would use the trackpad most of the time, but there are times where you reach out and you want to touch what you're doing because exactly. it's just quicker and it's just easier. Yeah. And then I go back to my normal MacBook and I'm tapping the screen and nothing's happening. Well, everyone always makes those jokes about like you know they're like five-year-old kids like tapping on tv screens and not being mm -hmm. confused why they're not touchscreens but you know we have a whole generation who have been raised where screens are touchscreens yeah and so stubbornly insisting well no not these screens they're not touchscreens and they never will be <laughs> uh feels just kind of like stubborn and backwards and i just can't imagine oh, yeah. they're going to hold it for long 
No. Apple have um, said that they won't do various things in the past and then uh, have gone yeah. on to do them, so I'm sure I think, it's, uh, it's not it's not outside the realms of possibility. Something to do with a stylus at some yeah. point. Yeah. You know, it definitely <laughs> isn't like the Apple Pencil in the slightest. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pencil, not a stylus. Get it right, guys. God. I just wonder if um I wonder if they will eventually just sort of have one OS that's just called Apple OS or something that runs across all of them or yeah, I think the bigger thing, I guess the first question is whether they merge the Mac and iPad side, or whether they do that first, first or whether yeah. they go straight to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so maybe we should talk about a couple of the specific software tweaks we sort of alluded to. But yeah, so on the iPad side, they've added for a lot of the core Apple apps like Photos and Calendar um, and Apple Music, they've added a sidebar that has all of the controls. So it looks just like a computer app. Uh, oh, they've nice. added drop-down menus from the top and toolbars at the top. And again, you look at all that and say, like, that is the stuff you find on a computer or a mm. Mac, not the stuff you find on a tablet. Uh, and then on the Mac side, they took a load of uh, the iOS and iPadOS icons and pulled them through. They pulled through the iOS command center, and they pulled through the notifications from iOS, which look like just like a little mini version of, of your iPhone notification screen tucked away in the corner <laughs> of the Mac. So all of this is just, I mean, especially on the Mac side, that's a really blatant, like, here are several big chunks of iOS we're just going to swap into macOS. Um, I mean, I think it makes sense. Like, I think if you're new to macOS, it can be quite confusing if you're used to Windows. But if you have an iPhone or an iPad and you've got a similar experience to that, then the learning curve is much less. Like I found that yep. when I went again, when I went to the iPad Pro Magic Keyboard, Apple have kept most of the Mac keyboard shortcuts uh, and, right. and swipe gestures for the, the trackpad. So when I went from my MacBook to the iPad, there was no learning curve at all. I was doing stuff and I was yep. like, oh, wait, I, I already know how to do this. So I think there'll be well, an element of that as well. That's what and, and it's what makes sense. And it's so funny for them because they've always been an ecosystem company. Or at least they have been for years. You know, the whole drive with Apple is they don't want you to buy one Apple product. They want you to replace everything you own with the Apple version. And everything is designed to make it harder to, you know, jump outside on, on your one bit. If you've got the iPhone, then, well, it makes sense to have the iPad for your tablet and the Apple Watch for your smartwatch. And, but the Mac always sat a bit separate from that. It yeah. never f- actually linked into that other ecosystem in a strong way. And so in a way, I'm surprised it's taken them this long to bring them together more. Because like you said, it now makes so much more sense to be able to say to someone who owns an iPhone who's looking for a new laptop and say, well, buy a MacBook because you're already going to know how it works. Yeah. You know? So running the apps natively, what are people supposed to do when they run like Photoshop or something? Do you have, you going to run that? version and the mac version or will there just be one version or i think i mean i like, think there'll be a mac a mac yeah. version but made for um the arm processors yeah uh i guess you could run the ipad version of photoshop on your mac if you wanted to um i imagine that would not i i, I assume the ipad version has some slightly different sort of abilities to the desktop yeah. version so that would limit you somewhat um, so you'll probably get a better experience out of the desktop one. But it may depend on optimization, because obviously we haven't mentioned, but like, this is a totally different architecture in terms of the silicon to what they've been using with Intel. Mm-hmm. So every p- bit of software that runs on Macs now will have to change in some way. And they made a big point about talking about the ways you can sort of emulate things and run things so they'll still run fairly smoothly. But in practical terms, every major software developer is going to have to now retune their apps and re-optimize them for the new Macs. I mean, they've they shown some, off like 
was about to say they yeah, did so show some demos and stuff like that, didn't they? They had Photoshop running on on the Mac, and they also yeah. had Final Cut Pro. Uh, yeah, with multiple streams of 4K video. So on that front, it seems that it can keep up in terms of performance. It's just yeah. whether we'll, we'll, developers. I mean, we'll have to see because uh, a demo I'm very skeptical. Thing. Yeah, I, I, having having sat through a lot of Qualcomm demos about yeah. their uh, ARM chips for Windows laptops, the Windows on Snapdragon <laughs> stuff, they can show so many demos that show that it matches Intel like bit for bit, and it's even faster on these all these tasks, and it's so much better for multitasking. And then you use one, and it's sluggish and choppy, and most of your apps don't run right, and it just isn't there. And I, I mean, I, on the one hand, I can say I trust Apple are very good at making processes, but Qualcomm are too, yeah, and yeah. they also have found it really difficult to make it for computers. Um, I was about to say, we've seen this on the Windows side with the Snapdragon ones. And at at the start, I mean, you get amazing battery life from ARM processors. So you may see Macs getting a huge boost in battery life, possibly to over 20 hours or something. But um, although Qualcomm has improved the performance with the now one, you know, the Snapdragon, the ones that are dedicated rather than the ones that were basically smartphone chips with a few tweaks to make them work with Windows. <laughs> the performance still isn't quite there. So hopefully Apple can, you know, avoid that. Yeah. And, I mean, and I the software it... optimization is still a big challenge. And I think Apple obviously working directly with big companies like Microsoft and Adobe to get their stuff ready out of the gate. Yeah. But, you know, again, Microsoft and Qualcomm tried to do that for the Snapdragon stuff, and there's still been really slow uptake on that. Um, I guess this will be faster because it will be all Macs, whereas it's not like all Windows laptops now run on. But as um, the Apple yeah. is good again, it's customers to upgrade to the latest software and stuff like that. I think it's like 90% of, of compatible iPhones are all running iOS 13 at this point, which is yeah. pretty damn good. But it does, it, it gives you. It gives people almost no reason to buy a Mac now in terms of That's like what I was about to how, say, yeah. how the support is going to continue because they're, they're making this transition. So if you buy a Mac, you know, and they just launched a new MacBook Pro. Like they're yeah. gonna say, not even oh, the MacBook Pro. Yeah. The Mac Pro. <laughs> the yeah, thousands the poor Mac and thousands Pro. of pounds Mac oh. Pro that people were waiting for for so long is now pretty much redundant. You've just got to feel, I mean, yeah. it, it, it definitely feels like Apple finally admitting that it's not really there for that hardcore creative user anymore, right? Yeah. Like the people who they made the Mac Pro for, no one would buy one of those anymore this year. Yeah. You'd be an idiot to buy a Mac Pro in 2020 now. Nope. And it's hard to imagine people being anything but intensely skeptical of the first ARM iteration yeah. of that. Uh, and we've already seen I, it amongst the creatives in our group, haven't we? Uh, they will be yeah. discussing kind of uh, how they're kind of cutting out the, the pro-level creatives that made Apple's Mac line what it is today. Yeah, um, and and they'll probably be fine with that because I don't think that's who Apple needs anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, financially speaking, they they don't need those hardcore creatives because, yeah. and they've actually been shedding that a bit anyway. I think Windows has gotten so much better at that space. We've seen the Nvidia sort of creator GPUs coming out and things like that that have been made a lot of Windows laptops really good options for that. Um, but it definitely feels like a, a shift where they're kind of admitting. Yeah, that's not our user base anymore. We want people who they just need enough power to run Photoshop. Um, and, and beyond that, it's battery life and efficiency that are going to be the bigger points. I think they're talking more kind of YouTuber level creatives yeah. than Hollywood blockbusters. Exactly. Um, yeah, so big changes for Apple. Um, it's a sort of funny WWDC when they announce no new hardware, which is in a sense makes it a dull year, but actually there's so much shifts in the software side and especially on the Mac side that 
it means there's a lot to change in Apple over the next year yeah. and will have big implications on other companies in each of those ecosystems, obviously, too. Um, but that is enough WWDC for now. Uh, so I think back to Android land, which is where I feel more comfortable back in my safe space. Uh, Chris, you have been using the LG Velvet all week, right? With the with the dual screen. Yes. So let me show you. Here's the LG Velvet in all its uh, velvety I, glory. I, uh, I do like that teardrop <laughs> camera design. I've got yeah. to admit. Yeah, I'm a big fan. The uh, the rear camera. Oh, or water yes. drop or whatever they call it. Yeah, the it's only the the main sensor that's got a bump and it's very small, maybe like two mil or something. So yeah. that's not not really noticeable at all. Yeah, it looks quite nice. This is the yeah, really nice. Uh, I, don't, I can't remember what it's called, Aurora White or something like that. It's quite nice, quite a little bit pearlescent. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a sort of nice phone, a strange phone. Um, <laughs> there's there's um, there's sort of two ways to come at it i mean obviously you could just get the phone on its own um mm -hmm. and it's a nice phone um you could call it a mid-level flagship i suppose um these days at the it's sort of around the 700 dollar mark so mm -hmm. it's not cheap enough to be called mid-range but obviously most flagships these days are more like a grand so it's sort of like the flagship price of a few years ago yeah and it's running the 7 Series 5G Snapdragon, one of the 765s. So outside of Korea, which is obviously here in most places, it's uh, running the 765G, yeah. Yeah. So it's not it's not top tier, but I don't I basically don't think, you know, it's, it's fairly clear to me that it's not aimed at people who know about specs. Like it's not your no. geek, you know, it's not your enthusiast who who knows about screen resolutions and refresh rates. And, and, and that's what feels like the big difference to me in this phone, because it's a shift for them, because the last few LG flagships have been big, boring grey slabs in terms of how they look, for the most part. Yeah. Um, very functional design, like sleek. I'm not saying they're ugly, but they're not going for really snazzy, flashy looks. And they've been top spec, but in lots of like niche ways where like you'd have to get into like explaining to someone why this display is so much better than the other ones out there, or why their speaker setup or their like audio codecs are so good. The kind of things that the average like high street shopper has no idea about. And even once you explain, they don't care. Um, once you explain that their headphones will sound that tiny bit better, they're like, yeah, I'm not paying a hundred pounds for that. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really all about the look and feel. Like I think that's why they've changed from the the G name, the V name, because yeah. this is similar. Like with especially with the dual screen, it is similar to the V60. Yeah. But it's just it's slimmer. It looks nicer. It feels nicer. Um, LG won't like me for saying this, but it it is quite Samsungy. Like yeah, I had I had the same thought. <laughs> It's got that really thin strip of metal running down the side. The curved, yep. you know, it's very curved. Um, the, the glass is curved at the back and the front. Um, there are, you know, a few other interesting colorways, including like one that's got a really mirrored finish with like, you know, all the colors of the rainbow as you as you turn it. So it's it's sort of more on the fashion side of things, if if you like. Um, and yeah, it, it's a sixty hertz screen. So for us, you know, we we always look at these phones and get all techie and go, oh, what's the refresh rate and, and things. But, you know, this is for people that don't care about that stuff. Um, and then 
the, you know, the case is obviously a huge selling point. The problem mm-hmm. is I don't know how much the case is. Um, and if it's anything like the V60, I think a lot of places will sell it with the case included. It's, yeah, they, they've been playing around with that. Each of the phones has been, each of the dual screen phones so far has been a bit different in how they've handled that. And it yeah. also varies by market. So there have been some where, say, in the UK, the case, the dual screen come, came included, but in America, you had to buy it separately. Right. I think they're kind of pivoting to a model where it comes as an included accessory. Yeah. Um, but I think that makes it's hard sense. to know for sure. Yeah. yeah so it's, it's, it's kind of cool. Um, and kind Is this of... the first dual screen you've used, you've reviewed? Basically, yeah. So I'm coming at it from a slightly different perspective because I haven't seen like the Galaxy Fold and and things like that apart from. But also like the previous LG ones. Yes, I have. uh, Henry's sort of been the LG guy doing all these, um, but it's a bit to me. It clips in and basically turns it into a Nintendo DS um, with with huge 6.8 inch screens, um, (laughs) which is quite cool. it sort of works well in some ways and totally awful in other ways. So <laughs> it, it just sort of depends what you want to do. So you plug it in, you've got your two screens. Um, the the second screen is an exact match, including the notch, which I hate. Um, because there's, there's no camera. <laughs> there's no camera there, which you think would be quite <laughs> cool if because it does fold all the way around, like 360. Um Okay, that's so you'd think, oh, if, if you were holding it that way, oh, there's the camera still there so I can take a picture. Yeah. But no, it's just, as far as I can tell, just a cost-saving measure. They've already made a panel. Yeah, so they've, they've done it, it for the other ones. It is essentially that. I think it mostly yeah. comes from cost-saving. But I think it also... They also like it the is, look of it. It, it gives you... Um, it means it is the same panel. So you're getting the same colour tone, the same yeah. everything. So you're never going to see a difference in quality between the two displays which yeah. you did in the first dual screen, and they used different panels. Right. And they were different sizes, but also you could always see when you moved like an image between the two, you could see like just the quality of the colors shifted a little bit. You okay. could tell things weren't the same. So they made a point of being like, it is the same screen on both sides. But the downside of that is you get the notch. Yeah, I suppose that's good, but I just don't like the notch being there. Yeah, I um, wish they could do that without the notch. But You, you get used to it, but... Um... Obviously, one of the major things is the way there's a huge gap between the two screens. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not this is you can't really call this a rival to like the Galaxy Fold and and the Mate uh, XS yeah. um, because if I show you something like uh, YouTube and put it in wide view, which you have to sort of switch on for apps, like it's not. A lot yeah. of this isn't very intuitive. Like you have to go into settings and enable the apps to go across the two. Um, otherwise, you just wouldn't know that they uh, would be able to. So switch into wide view, and we've got a huge gap between. Yeah. Uh, so for anyone who's just listening to the podcast, we've basically got like you see a video thumbnail appearing across both screens, but you just miss the middle bit of it because there's there's yeah. hinge in the way. Um. um so yeah, I think it doesn't it doesn't work in that sense, um, and obviously adding the case is pretty chunky, so it's not really pocketable. So it's more like a use it like this around the house, probably yeah. take it out of the case when you when you go out and about. I think it's it's partly a it's good for productivity stuff too. If you are someone who ever uses your phone as a work device, like yeah. that second screen is great for that. Um, and I think my, my biggest pref- question is 
is is Call of Duty and stuff like that. Do you can you use it? So you got the the game on the top screen and you have got controls on the bottom screen, like yes. on a D, like on a DS, yes. like you were saying. Yeah, so they have yeah. a whole bit of software set up to turn the bottom screen into a touchscreen controller with multiple different controller setups for like shooters or driving games or whatever. Let me get um, let me get asphalt up and. At first, to, I thought I just was playing it like on that screen. This screen was yeah. just doing nothing. But you can, <laughs> yeah, you can put controls uh, on the bottom. Again, it's, okay. it's a bit unintuitive, though. Yeah, uh, they've never figured out the software side to make it really clear what yeah. you can do and how you get at it. Um, yeah, because I'm um, saying like, oh, everything you were talking about, like n- none of that appeals to me at all. Until I was like, actually, if you can play games yeah. like on a DS, then maybe that's something I'd be interested in. For gaming, it's really speaking, good. I can't really find anything yeah, that I, I mean, want uh, that for. I was literally yeah. playing this morning, and now I can't remember how to get the controls up on the bottom <laughs> screen. <but> you, <laughs> and you that says it all. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, think there's, I think there's an app. I think there's a dedicated app you have to open that's like Game Space game, or something. Yeah, Game okay. Controller or something. But yeah, it, it, yeah, once you get it into that, it does it does work quite well. Um, okay. There is there's this little magnetic um, USB C port because because oh, yeah. inside the case. It, there's a USB, yeah. There's like a fixed USB-C that plugs into the phone. So yeah. obviously, if you want to charge the phone, there's no space to actually plug the cable. So you uh, have to magnetically pop that on. Yeah. And then plug your cable into that, which I am gonna lose like yep. any moment now. Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. <laughs> um, I think again, it's part of the argument for it being like a, a an accessory you pop the phone in and out of when you want to use it and you might yeah. just then pop it out of the case to charge it nine times out of ten um i'm i'm really interested to see if they ever make a dedicated dual screen phone yeah. because if they did that they could probably keep it slimmer than it is like that they could keep the hinge smaller um and you know if they could make something like that that had the two screens built in felt more like a foldable more like a dedicated dual screen device yeah. but then could still stick to like a grand in terms of pricing and does still have that feeling of well it's still a lot cheaper than a galaxy fold yeah um that would be really interesting to me that yeah that would be good i mean because unless you're going to use the case <clears throat> there's some pretty strong you know rivals around this price because yeah you've got the one plus eight and you've got the iphone 11 you know covering both android and ios so on its own you know those phones are better um the cameras are okay on this but there's nothing special um it's, it's sort of like okay hardware it it's an it's a nice looking phone with okay hardware but if mm-hmm. you are into those specs and stuff there's better you know out there it's definitely a step up for them i think a couple of years ago say like the 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 g7 or something like that was the kind of phone that reviewers loved and people didn't buy yeah um and then i think over the last the couple phones after that even the reviewers kind of fell out of love with them um but this feels like a it could be a lot more competitive for them yeah i think it's going edging towards mid-range which like you said is super competitive and especially as you're getting into that, oh, well, it's got snazzy colors and the nice glass back and all that. And you kind of go, yeah, okay, but there's a lot of Chinese companies making phones that look yeah. basically like that and will offer you more specs for less money. Mm-hmm. Um, so it still is a little bit trading on the LG brand. And the question is whether the LG brand is still worth enough in phones for that to do it any favors. And in the UK, at least, I'm not, I'm not convinced it is. Yeah, you've sort of got to, you've sort of got to be an LG fan 
and yeah. a lot of people don't like their Android interface. And I, can't, I can't say I've ever actually met an LG fan. Someone <laughs> yeah. calls himself an yeah. LG fan. <laughs> They're out there. They're out there in the YouTube comments. I it's promise somewhere. you. <laughs> I guess not, quite, not quite as much as the Sony fans. No, I was yeah. about to say, I know a few Sony people that are hardcore Sony yeah. on their phones and stuff like that, yeah. but not quite LG. You do get a little screen on the case just for oh, some basic nice. info, but you can't, it's not touch or anything. You can't do anything with it. Yeah. Uh, I definitely, I, I like this as a move for the company. I think this shows them moving back yeah. in the right direction. The last few, they've been so stubbornly like, we make our phones like this. Yeah. And the market kept saying, but we don't want those phones. And LG said, that doesn't matter. This is how the phone, this is the phones we want to make. And we're going to keep making them, whether you buy them or not. Um, this is at least them looking at the market and saying, okay, fine. Like, we'll start making the phones people want to buy. And this isn't you perfect, win. but it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah, I quite like it. it. I mean, I haven't noticed any performance issues with the 765, to be honest. But then it's 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 not running a crazy high res screen with a high refresh rate and things like that so yeah i think it's, it's only nice when you balance. get to the higher refresh rate yeah. that you start to notice that kind of thing like yeah. i've got the motorola edge and that's running a 765 um and when it's on a 60 hertz it's fine but when you hit 90 hertz it's not quite as consistent right. as what you'd expect from the flagships so i think yeah. the 60 hertz makes sense with the 765 yeah and at that point you're basically it will be good enough even for gaming and stuff like that because that's normally yeah. the caveat is like if you really care about proper gaming in that sort of playing Call of Duty Mobile Sense or whatever, mm -hmm. then you should always go for an 8 series. Um, but actually, at this point, the 7, the 765G or something will do a good job, but yeah, probably oh, yeah. not if you jump for the high refresh rate too. No. But yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sold. We don't actually know when it's coming anywhere except Korea, right? It's on sale in Korea. We know it will hit other markets, but I don't think well, we've been told anything official. As far as I'm aware, it is rolling out in Europe sort of from this week, which is... Ah, okay. Um, but starting in places like Germany. So we don't yeah. have any info on whether it's coming to the UK at the moment. But it, um, we have... Yeah, we're pretty confident it will. I think, again, LG... This is LG's return to glory. At least that's their, yeah. how they want to see it. So they want to push it as wide as they can, I think. Yeah, um, I mean, we'll have, to, yeah, we'll have to wait and see which networks and retailers pick it up. Um, I assume it's going to be more on the retail side than the network side. Yeah, but again, well, because we'll yeah, see. LG need to build build that trust back up that people will buy their phones and that people are interested. Yeah. And they 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 lost a lot of market, you know, and they've got to they got to win that back. But as we've repeatedly said, with with Huawei effectively out of the picture. For the for the UK and European market, there is still that space, and it makes sense. They're just one of several companies looking and saying, "Oh, maybe we can get that space in the market and get back some of what they lost." And I would like to see that. I would like to see LG back as a really strong competitor. That would be nice. Yeah, I mean, the, I've said multiple times, like the the G two and G three were like two of my favourite Android phones ever. Yeah. And then it's still, sort of started to go a bit wrong with the four, and then a bit more so with the with the five. <laughs> But come on, LG, we believe in you. And I really want that weird <laughs> LG wing. I just want that to be real. I want that flippy 90-degree turning screen. Uh, and yeah, I want nice. this to sell a lot so that they make those. Yes, uh, yes please. <laughs> okay, I think that will do us for this week. Uh, thank you, Chris and Lewis, for joining me. 
And thank you to everyone who's stuck with us all the way through this. As always, like and subscribe to make sure you know when the next episode drops next week. And jump in the comments to let us know if you have any questions, if you disagree with us violently. If you are an LG fan, please shout out and let us know. <laughs> and I'm sorry if we've offended you. Uh, <laughs> thank you, everyone, and see you guys next week. Bye.